Welcome to That That Don't Kill Me. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer. I'm Jameson Rich. And we are your hosts. We're your, <laughs> we're your guides on this. What if we just got really like Winding ASMR journey. weird? Like, we're your guides on this journey. Close your eyes. <laughs> Count to 10. Take a deep breath. Oh, I could use, I want to go to a fucking spa. You want some guided meditation? I would like some, well, no, I don't want like specifically guided, but I do want to go like get a, like go to yoga or something. Yeah, I've never, I've never done yoga. Have you ever done yoga? Oh, I, yeah, I do yoga a lot. You do a lot? Yeah. yeah. You're going to be like me and, and go to yoga for the first time and just like absolutely like die of laughter really? the entire time. Well, you'll probably walk into the, the one class with the one teacher who's like, and feel your underbelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you just like totally lose it and you can't, you can't yeah. get it back. Once it's yeah, lost, once it's, it's lost. gone. That, and and cause it's like, it's very silent in there too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a it's recipe for disaster. Anyway, we are really excited because we have a guest. We do have a guest this on the week. Show. We have a uh, Laura Parker, who is the deputy director at buzzfeed.com. Um, she is what can we say about laura she wrote a book she or wrote, she's writing a she's book. writing a book she's writing a book it's called vagina problems yeah which, which is, should be coming out in 2020 yes uh she lives with endometriosis vaginismus and other related pelvic floor conditions and she writes about all sorts of things uh that touch on that and also things like painful sex and medical marijuana yes so she's a really cool Really cool person. I really enjoyed uh, it. I did as well. I was telling Jamie that there are so many times in the interview, I was like, I have a story. I have a story. Me too. Me too. Me too. Me too. Which I think. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I can say whatever I want. No, but I also (laughs) am like, oh, like that means that the stuff that she is talking about is really relatable. Yes. And if I feel it, I'm hopeful that you'll also hear something that you feel too. Yes. And the endo community is huge on Twitter. Huge. Huge. Um, so, you know, we're hoping that that uh, this may reach them as well. Yeah. Yeah. But for really for anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, women. Women. People. People. As a man who is the son of a woman... <laughs> Who didn't have any sisters, but might have had sisters. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know, it's not out of the realm possibility that I one day might have a daughter. I, I could, I, you know, maybe, who knows? Anything, life's crazy. Anything can Jamie, happen. Stop trying to be a senator, okay? <laughs> As a man who has seen a woman, I've heard of them. And so I've talked to one once <laughs> for that. And some of them have voted for me. And uh, for that reason, yeah, you care about this. I, this is a deeply personal issue to me. <laughs> no, but this is a really great conversation. I think everyone will will enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. And action. Make it, make it do it makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. Make it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger, more than ever. Congrats on the 20,000, you guys, really. Congratulations. This can be completely uh, not about pain. It can be about pain. It can just be about your day or about your week. Um, So the first question is, how are you doing today? On a scale of one to ten, I think today is like maybe a seven and a half in terms of like ten being I'm not getting off the couch. I guess it's mm-hmm. been a couple. Yeah. It's been a hard month. I think. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. It happens, right? I sure. And, um, yeah, it really does. Yeah. It really does. We like to make fun of the pain scale because I think, you know, if you think about it, a one could be like a hangnail. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. like hangnails hurt, right? Yeah. And 10 feels like 
Well, could I ever quantify what a 10 oh, is? Yeah. I'm not really sure because I don't know if my brain, I don't want to allow my brain to believe that I've ever been at a 10. Yeah, totally. Um, even though maybe I've thought that I was at a 10, I always feel like there could be worse. Right. Um, Jamie, what are you at today? Oh, what am I at today? 10 being, 10 10 being be- the worst. 10 is bad. Earlier today was, was pretty bad, but now I think I'm, I'm doing okay. I think I'm a four. Yeah. And this is and this is why it's also why the scale is also so weird is that like our brains are trained to say like one to ten, ten being the best. And you have to think counterintuitively. So the better you are, the lower your the number is, which is right. Just completely yeah, yeah, not yeah. how we're wired to think. I'd like to always think I'm an eleven in life. Yeah. But on the pain scale. Yeah. Um yeah, I'd say I'm probably like a, a eight or nine. Oh, no. <laughs> I've had not a not a great not a great day. It's okay. We'll move on. So we hear you're writing a book. Yes, and we're really excited about that. So um, how's how's it coming? Yeah, how's it going? It's coming. Uh, it's been yeah. really really challenging. It's not like I was like, oh, writing a book is easy. I never ever had that thought, right? But I think I sort of underestimated how challenging it would be, not just writing the book, but sort of having to relive the trauma that I've had associated with my illnesses and not just reliving them once, but then reliving them a hundred thousand times <laughs> through edits. Mm. And I think it's, it definitely, it was more emotionally difficult than I thought that it would be. I think um, I knew it would be hard to find the time and in between not feeling good, but I think, like I said, I underestimated how hard it would be to sort of just relive that and go over how I feel about it and try to come to terms with it. So I think even if you think you have sometimes, you really have that maybe. <laughs> That's what I'm learning. Yeah. So Right. Mm. I don't I don't know if you've had this, um, but for me, I've had many times, actually quite frequently, where I like I'll sit down to go write something and I can be like feeling fine. And the second I open my computer or the document, my body's like, oh, nope, we're just not going to do this. Like, I'll just get suddenly exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like took me a while to realize like what was going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's literally a, a defense mechanism. That's like a, a trauma response of your body going like, yeah, I can't do this. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I think I talk about this. I'm trying to talk about it more and I talk about it a little bit in my book, but I think oftentimes when people think of chronic pain or chronic illness, they're like, oh, you're in physical pain. But I think what I've struggled with more so in the last year or so in my life is the mental aspect of it. And that has just been the most difficult for me because even if I am having an okay pain day, I can't always Mm -hmm. just sit down and be okay mentally because I'm like, just waiting for the next attack to come or just waiting to not feel good again. And I don't think people understand the repetition of that and like feeling as if you're on a hamster wheel that you can never get off of. Right. Right. Or I I mean, I think in my own experience, even the idea of believing that you might be done with something and then like, it might be like, Oh, I, I get a break from this or, Oh, this is over for me. And then feeling like an idiot for ever thinking that when you then feel bad again. Totally. That's that's always what happens with me. But so how did how did the book really come about? What made you decide that you wanted to write a book? I think it came about like very randomly and just like there's this quote, I don't know who said it. People have sent it to me over the years that's like, if you want a book to exist about something, like just write it yourself. Mm. And there are a lot of great books on the market about this. There's not enough, but there are books out there that exist. And I don't want to take away from that. But a lot of the books that exist that talk about my specific illnesses or illnesses that affect predominantly women, a lot of them are just very heavy handed with like medical jargon. And they talk about like research. And to be honest, like, me personally, I don't want to read that stuff. I know the statistics. I'm very well aware. I'm well aware that there's no cure. I understand how many people it affects. That's not like helping me feel less alone. In fact, it oftentimes makes me feel more depressed because I'm like, great, this is what we're up against. I would much rather read something 
that's like talking about how hard it is to wear a thong because your vagina hurts and thinking, oh, yeah, I relate to that. So I just wanted something like that. And because I have this platform, I thought, well, I'll just use it, I guess, or try to. And so I decided to write a proposal to try and get an agent, I think two years Mm -hmm. ago, a year and a half ago. It's been a while. And I met my agent, who I think is great, but I sort of had to convince her that this was a thing because she doesn't live with it. It wasn't that Mm. hard, to be honest. Um, She's very understanding and I appreciate that about her. But then we had to convince publishing houses that this was a thing that people lived with and would care about and would buy. And there was like this uphill battle of not having a doctor on board or not having that like medical perspective. And I was very adamant that that was not what I wanted. So it was, So was it publishers who wanted that? Yes. Like they wanted to have an expert voice to validate the fact that it exists? Yeah. And it's like, it gives, like you said, it just gives it more validity and like makes it easier to sell in their mind. Um, But for me, like that is the opposite of what I want. When I see a doctor attached to something, I actually am very wary of it. You're like, never mind, not for me. I already go to the doctor. I'm good. I got a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And like doctors have just historically been so awful to me personally in my life and like to so many people Mm. who live with endometriosis and related conditions that it's like, yeah, I mean, they have their space. They've had their time. It's our time now to talk about our experience. And I really don't think that there is a need for a doctor's perspective at the time. And that's just how I felt. Yeah. It's, I think about a lot. That's so interesting to hear you say that. I think about a lot like, the ways in which people receive and treat medical stories that is so kind of outside of the norm of how they treat stories in any other realm. Literally anyone, like Like anyone else's story. Right. Like I'm thinking, uh, like I'm thinking analogously, like uh, imagine um, someone was uh, emancipated from prison because they were wrongfully convicted and they were going to write a book about how bad the system was mm-hmm. and publishers and publishers said, yeah, but you know, it would really help if we had a judge involved mm-hmm. in this. It'd really help <laughs> yeah. if a warden wrote your foreword. Yeah, totally. Like, no, that's, that's Maybe exactly what this book prosecutor. is not about. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, but somehow in the medical realm, it seems like, I think it has maybe a little bit to do with like the perceived uh, unimpeachability of the medical community totally. still mm. that people have, this yeah, this like weird attachment and like reverence and like need for that validation. That's so weird. I have that a lot. Like when I've written about it, past editors have been like, "Do you have a medical study to back this up?" And I'm like, "What you don't understand mm-hmm. is that a no one's funding oh. medical studies for this. Right. B yeah. oh there God. are multiple medical studies that don't mean shit because they're either wrong or they're saying something that's like problematic or they're pushing a medicine that has myriad of side effects. Like." There's such a difference between sharing like a personal journey with something versus like a medical study. And I think that there is a need for both. I'm not saying that there's not a need for the medical study, but I think that it's insane to think that every personal story has to be backed up by one because that's just like not how chronic illnesses work. Right. And we all know that. Right. And that's also just not how like narrative storytelling works in any other subject. Right. Like we, we all kind of understand um, that personal stories are subjective and about singular singular experience, but well, and how in many this realm, how many medical studies or medical like how much literature is out there that doesn't necessarily fit your personal narrative? Like, totally. there's so much that right. our personal stories defy in the medical community anyway. Right. And then like there's like the whole aspect of like crazy. what do they fund? What medical studies exist? Exactly. Predominantly who, right. white who benefits for those? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So you're leaving out a whole ass part of the population just because it's not being funded. Like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I just I run into that a lot and it's very frustrating as someone who lives with it, as I'm sure you both understand when people are just so attached to the idea of like, is there a study? And it's like, no, there's not because no one cares enough to fund it. That doesn't mean right. it's not right. happening. Exactly. Right. So I, I 
I think that's like a very, very good point and something that I've even run into in my own kind of like journalism and reporting um, have found that there's very few studies specifically around uh, the health conditions that predominantly affect black women. Yes. There's just not a lot of research out there. Um, And I I wanted to also just talk about it at large. It feels like when reading your story, it feels like the medical system has really failed you in a lot of ways. And um, I guess I, I have just... I'm just curious if you've been able to find any doctors that are actually in it with you and and for people who are listening who might have also might also be in the the journey at the very moment of like needing to find people who will listen to them mm-hmm. how have you found people and like have you learned anything through that horrible process that might be helpful to others Yes unfortunately when I do find there are doctors out there that genuinely care and genuinely want to help. Unfortunately, they're often not accessible to the majority of people living with the condition because Mm. A, they either don't accept insurance because of some weird issue or like the wait list is crazy. There's, there's the gold star treatment for endometriosis right now is a surgeon Mm -hmm. or surgery. It's called excision surgery. And there's maybe like five to six surgeons in the U.S. that are known for doing it and good. Five to six. Like I know them all by name. That's how many there are. Wow. Not a single one of them takes insurance. There's one that takes insurance. And are you serious? I'm very serious. And a consultation to see one of them, which I actually am going to see later this month, uh, is $1,000 for 90 minutes. And... Wow. It's not covered by insurance. So what are these doctors doing? So it's like, like that's, that's the thing. Crazy. Like it's very complicated because I I feel there's a moral dilemma because I'm like so angry at the doctors. I'm like, how can you not accept insurance? But then you go and you look into it and you look at how the insurance companies treat these doctors and how they compensate them and like there's two sides to it and sure. neither side is good. And so yeah. it's hard. The most beneficial experiences I've had have been with holistic doctors, which again, inaccessible because they're often, they don't take insurance because insurance doesn't recognize that as like a valid medical treatment. But for me, it's been very helpful to see those doctors, to see acupuncturists and to see chiropractors and see things like that because they validate me in a way that I've not gotten from other doctors. But it's something that I think about all of the time. Like, I used to think, man, if I could afford to go to acupuncture and see these doctors and have all of this time and energy and money to do these things, I probably wouldn't be sick anymore. And the thing is, I'm at that point in my life now where I make enough money and I have a good enough insurance plan that I can do those things and I'm still sick. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I think I got well, off on a tangent. I'm not even sure I answered no. your question. No, no, no. no, no. Was- you did answer the question. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, women in particular get their pain written off by doctors all the time. And so it's all about trying to find people that actually hear you. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard. Um, like people say all the time, like, be your own advocate, advocate for yourself. And I could not agree with that more. But I think that that really yeah. underestimates how hard that is to do. Like, I totally. think totally. that I have come so far in my journey and I very much know what is wrong with me. And I think I take no shit from doctors. And then as soon as I get in there and they say something that doubts me, I lose it because it's just, it's right. so hard. It is so hard. Well, yeah, it's really, it's hard to come up against anyone who kind of believes that they have science on their side mm-hmm. and believes that they have facts on right. their side. Cause it's, cause I've, I've been there as, as well. I had a very rare lung disease for a number of years and like advocate for yourself became like the, the, the mantra. And it's like, yeah, I, I hear you that you can, you can feel that and you can like sort of have the ability to speak up to yourself, speak up for yourself. And that's one thing, but it's another thing to almost like, have to convince someone that something exists when they don't believe mm-hmm. it exists. Yeah. And you start to doubt yourself because there's not right. the research, like, especially if, like you with a rare condition like that, like, it's just, 
there's not this wealth of information right. out there and you're taxed right. with doing it all yourself on top of, you know, right. being a person living a life. So I think it's one of the hardest things in the world. And it's something that I, I don't go to the doctor alone anymore if I can, mm. because I oh. just, I never get the questions and like I black out almost like it's just mm. a very mm. traumatic experience for me, no matter what, even if the doctor is a good doctor, it's such a stressful right. experience that I just, I can't, I, I try not to do it alone if I can. Yeah. Do you ever feel like an anger? I mean, I know I feel this way, but I think I, I've always kind of felt or noticed the kind of hierarchy of medical conditions and what be, what is treated as uh, serious. Oh, serious absolutely. Yeah. And what is, you know, not. So like if you come in and you have, a mass growing inside of your body, they're like, we got to take care of this, right. obviously. But for these other things that feel still on the kind of phrase of, you know, the edges of the medical community, even though they potentially even impact more people, mm-hmm. it's just you get less attention. Oh, yeah. I think I think about that a lot from like, you know, the female perspective, like if something mm. like endometriosis was as widespread and debilitating to males, I mean, my oh, God, yeah. they would have figured it, it out. Be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just think yeah. that it's brushed aside because it's Absolutely. sort of related to periods and like, Ooh, vaginas, right. whatever. And periods are painful, like just deal with Oh it. yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> right? you don't understand. This is fucking debilitating. Like, I don't understand what, doesn't add up about that. They're like, oh, periods are supposed to hurt. Oh, okay. Am I supposed to pass out on my period every month? Like, am I supposed to not be able to walk? Like, that's normal? What is that, you know? How long did it take you to get diagnosed? It took me like five and a half years, and I ended up diagnosing myself. I went to a doctor and said, I think I have endometriosis. And he said, okay, we can do a surgery and see. So it wasn't a doctor. Oh, jeez. And how, how old were you when you started feeling symptoms? I started feeling symptoms as soon as I started my period, which was around 14, mm. 15. Um, and it progressively got worse as I got older. But my symptoms were very confusing to me. Um, the reason that I figured out what it was was because I was running. I used to have this weird symptom. I still have it. I can't run to this day. I have no idea why. I need to like find mm. a research study or something, but... For some reason, every time I run, not every time, but like most times when I run, I get this massive pain in my abdomen, like to the point where I will like pass out, like so, so, so sick. Like I will think that I'm dying. And it happened to me when I was in college and I passed out in the student Mm -hmm. union and like got taken to the ER in an ambulance. It was like a whole thing. And when I got to the ER, the ER doctor was like, oh, you just have like period cramps. You should take Advil next time. And I was just like, (laughs) oh my God. It was just like, and my dad was with me and he was like, I had never seen my dad get so angry. Like he's a very chill person. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me basically. Right. And after that, I was like, something is wrong. And I ended up Googling like severe stomach pain while running. And I saw the word endometriosis and I was like, wait, what is this? Wow. It was just like on a random ass message board somewhere. Um, And then I like started Googling endometriosis because I was like, oh, what is this? I've never heard of it. I had every symptom. So I was like, "Um, oh, okay, I think that this might be something. And so I found a new doctor because I didn't feel like the one that I was having at the time was like listening to me, obviously. And I just like came in armed with my Google search. And I was like, I think I have this. And he was like, okay. And then I did. Wow. Jeez. People people joke about like uh, Google told me I have cancer. WebMD told me oh, I have yeah. cancer. But like, so but actually, honestly, like- it, especially like by by 2019, I think Google and GoFundMe are like the strongest tools of the oh, American yeah. healthcare system, system at this point. Yeah. It like really um, bothers me when doctors are like, Google, "You googled it." I'm like, "Yeah, I had to because you didn't do your job." So. Right. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Like that's the referendum. Yeah. Of you, yeah. And yeah. Wh- right. What does that say that Google knows more than you? <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't that yeah. hard. Jeez. It took me like five. If, honestly, that's what makes me so furious is because I had all of the symptoms. It's not an uncommon thing. It's like it was very obvious. So like 
Right. It just wasn't to me because, you know, I'm not a doctor. So. Right. Right. And you were also young. Oh, yeah. And like I was being told so it, that it was not exactly. pain. So, yeah. Especially when you're young, your period is like new-ish. I mean, it's all sorts of crazy. I, how would you have any idea? I mean, yeah, I don't people know. don't historically people just talk tell you about it, it. They're supposed to hurt. Everyone talks about how bad they feel. I mean, my school nurse, when I would end up in you know, the school nurse's office because of passing out or I threw up one day at school during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. You know how you like stand in high school? Yeah. I was like vomiting yeah. in the trash can because of cramps. Oh. Oh and I gosh. ended up in the nurse's yeah. office and she was like, just take Advil, honey. Like, this is normal. Oh and I look back God. on that now and I'm like, that come makes me- on. <laughs> Listen, you know, every so 14-year-old girl barfs during right, like, the National Anthem. Yeah. It's, it's, it's to be expected. Yeah. God, that's uh, so That awful. makes me so sad. Also, just for, like, the generations of women that's what kills that, like, me. have to feel like that's just normal. Yeah. Like, you should just feel really horrible. Oh, yeah, because this is still happening. And, like, I'm sure someone today was for probably sure. told this is normal. And that's what gets yeah. me. So. Of course. Do you... um? Do you ever get hit with the phrase quality of life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie like s- like giggled really had this like really funny look on his face when I he just said like that. he's like oh I got one yeah. quality of life. Yeah, what, <laughs> yeah, I'm just What's the context uh, that you hear it most often? I'm curious. Um it was like for me it was in very specific contexts when I was um dealing with this lung disease when I was a teenager I had had a heart disease since birth and then it kind of like spun off a lung disease as well at a certain point. And that, you know, it was like a very rare thing that was only caused by this one heart surgery and they knew very little about it. And, um, it got to a point, they were just doing a ton of experimental treatments on me, a lot of anecdotal, um, treatments. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of like got to a point where I was like, this is just not happening. I, I kind of like forced, um, I basically forced my uh, my doctors to invent like a surgery that they could try that might fix it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but one thing they told me all the time, kind of like the more I pressed it, is like, oh well, this is really a quality of life issue. This is like you know because it's like when they can't when the numbers right of whatever kind of diagnostic test mm. they're doing when the numbers yeah. when the numbers aren't like horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's qu- quality of life means basically this is your problem. Oh, yeah. This is, you can't put up with this. So, and like it's it's a little bit for me. I found it a little bit interchangeable with uh, elective when talking about yes. like treatments. Yeah, it's, it's like this isn't an elective this isn't surgery. Like, like okay, yeah, right. yeah. This isn't essential to your survival. And I, you know, I was always kind of like found issue with that phrase just like linguistically of like, well, well, quality of life is kind of the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of why, like if I, kind if of I, why we're here, if my quality of life is not good enough for me to like get through the day, yeah. like then what are we doing here? Totally. I was just, I was just curious if, if it's been like, if your, your pain has been kind of put in those terms before. Yeah. It's very much like I, Oftentimes, I've worked on this in therapy for years, but I either blame myself or downplay it because that is what has been mm-hmm. happened or happened to me for so long. It's very much like, why are you complaining? And right. for a long time, I didn't because I was like, I'm just weak. I just can't deal. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. Everyone has pain, whatever, whatever. And then, I, you know, it just got to the point where, like, I decided to talk about it publicly. And I think it was because, like, it was killing me inside. Like it was eating Mm -hmm. me alive and I didn't have the words. Like I didn't know how to talk about it. And so I wrote about it and it Mm -hmm. was like a weight was lifted off of me and it made me realize like, no, this actually isn't normal and this actually isn't okay. And I don't have to accept this at all because other people don't have to live this way. And like, it's okay to be like, Hey, this actually really sucks. And my quality of life is important and I deserve to get better treatment. Like, I don't know. It, yeah, I hate that. What yeah. was that decision like for you when you're you're deciding to like own the fact that this is not okay? That you're going to write about something like that? That because to me that seems 
incredibly like an incredibly scary experience you know what looking back on it I'm like kind of crazy like I didn't really think about it though I think I was just so Mm. so I felt like I was living with this secret that was like eating me alive inside I wasn't talking to my friends about it I wasn't even thinking about Mm. it like in my own head I was so in denial like I knew it was happening I was in pain I knew things were going on right but it was just like I think it just, it came out and I just didn't think about it. I didn't think about the fact that like my seventh grade English teacher might read about it or like the guy I went to high school Mm. with. I was more so just like, I don't want to live with this inside of me anymore and I need to let Mm. it out. And for some reason, I mean, I worked, I, I still work at BuzzFeed at the time. I was a writer, a staff writer. And it, I was writing about everyday things in my life. And it almost felt like I was living a lie to not acknowledge this part of my life. So was it something that you brought up or was it something that like they came to you? Oh, no. Like, we want you to write about this. I brought it up. Okay. And, you know. Was that weird? Like, was that hard? It was. Thinking, like, maybe they won't want it? I, yeah, it was. I think like. I'm not going to say that I haven't had support because I have over the years, but I've also been met with a lot of, what's the word? Maybe like doubt, doubt maybe just like, oh, yeah, that's not really a thing or like, yeah, you can write about it. It's like mm-hmm. a passion project. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. Like I will. Um, I think I've always had like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about it because so many people for so long, not not just at my job, but just in my life in general, have always kind of told me that this like isn't a thing. And it's just like a a personal problem or like something that I need to deal with. And I think it just fuels this fire inside of me because I, it is a thing. And like, I'm very aware of that because I'm very in touch with the community now, like more so now than ever before. And so I think Mm -hmm. I've always had a chip on my shoulder almost to be like, you were wrong. And it is a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyone who follows you on Twitter would know that it absolutely is a thing. You get like pretty incredible engagement and response and following to how much you talk about this. I mean, the numbers <laughs> the numbers kind of don't lie. Like totally. there there does absolutely seem to be an audience uh and a crowd for for hearing about right. that and talking and there about absolutely it. Absolutely is. And like, listen, I get it. We have to get numbers, we have to get traffic. Even if that wasn't a concern, like I am, like I work from I work for BuzzFeed. I yeah, know. like I understand how to get traffic. But the thing is, is like, even if it didn't, that doesn't mean that this isn't happening or that it's not like affecting oh, totally. people. You know, so it's like I don't know. I've always I totally agree. But I just hate when people are like, "It's niche." I'm like, "It is not niche. This is not niche." We've Kendall, I have talked about this so much. Yeah. About, I mean, how, how people receive like illness conversation at large. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like if you, if you treated any other, um, contingent of people with the, with the numbers that disability and chronic illness have as niche, it would be so glaring (laughs) and, and so clearly biased because, yeah, there, it's, it's just so many people. And I mean, you know, I think people get hung up on, where they where they nitpick sometimes is saying, well, oh, certain you know individual illnesses have smaller um, cohorts or smaller numbers to them. I think it's like you said, it's infuriating to refer to something as niche when so many people in the world live with some sort of chronic illness or debilitating pain or something that keeps them from living their lives, and it's an insult. To be treated like it's some personal problem that we should just be quiet about because no one wants to hear it. It's like, well, you guys are out here talking about how you're hungover every day, and I have to listen to that, but I can't talk about my vaginal pain. Nah, I'm good. Like I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I love that. That's a quote, man. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So, and I totally agree. By the way. Um. (laughs) So, like, it seems to me that you know once you started talking about it you then like something had to make you want to continue to talk about it right like was it the original reception of the idea of being open about it how did have you navigated all of that honestly I think it was a lot of like just destigmatizing it for myself um 
Mm. I think talking about it and treating it like it's not a big deal, even when it felt like a big deal to me, has really helped me more than anything. Because the more that I talked about it, and the reason I chose to continue talking about it is because I was just so shocked to not be alone. Like I knew on some level that of course I wasn't alone. Like naturally, someone Mm -hmm. else in the world surely had to be going through this. But I didn't know of anyone. I had no idea if anyone else was experiencing painful sex or like not being able to wear certain types of underwear or like not being able to run and whatever. And so just seeing the amount of response of people being like, holy shit, me too, was like that fire under me of like, okay, that's it. Like, I'm done. I got to talk about this now. And I think I just sort of got to the place where I was like, I have this platform. I can talk about it so that other people don't have to. Because I got to the place where I was comfortable. Like, I really am not ashamed of it anymore. Like, I'm really just not. And I I don't know why. Like, I've tried to, like, figure out what the turning point was for me from going. Because, you know, five years ago, talking about how sex was painful for me, if we were having this conversation five years ago, like, I wouldn't be talking about it. I would be crying. I would be so ashamed and embarrassed and just like, I don't want people to know this about me. But now I'm like telling my fucking male lady, like everyone knows, my dentist (laughs) knows, like I don't care, you know, like to me, it's like saying my head hurts or like I get headaches sometimes. Like, And it should be. Right. Right, But it's just like, Like, I don't know what the turning point was. I think it helps so much that I have this community behind me that's supporting me and Mm -hmm. saying we're with you, even if we're not talking about it publicly. And I think knowing that a lot of people can't talk about it publicly for one reason or another, whether it be their career or their families or whatever, or they just don't want to, which is obviously totally their choice. I feel like I don't care. It's not going to affect me or my job. So I just do it because it feels like it would be wrong not to it would be wrong not to use this platform is it like spider-man that sounds some, like with great power comes great responsibility great or whatever comes... like i just feel like <laughs> with, i have with... this massive platform it would be stupid. with great engagement comes yes. great responsibility <laughs> um i also just kind of like uh going off of you saying it's a little bit like you know talking about having a headache or you said before, like, you have to watch, you have to see everyone talk about, like, oh, I was hungover last mm-hmm. night. Um, one thing that's, that is kind of interesting to me is, like, confessionalism is super in. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you <laughs> the know that. The internet loves it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with that, working at, working at BuzzFeed. But why do you think we kind of, you know, using the kind of royal we... Um, we treat like certain types of confessionalism differently where like Twitter most days for me is full of people my age being like, oh, I'm so horny. I'm depressed. I'm <laughs> yeah. going out drinking tonight. And yet, but there's like this other lane of confessionalism where if you talk about something like, you know, you dealing with painful sex, it's received in like a very different way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder like <laughs> If, if you have any thoughts on, uh, yeah. on why, on why we, why we uh, treat it that way. So I think that there's like this thing where there's like, you're being real and then there's, you're being really real. So like this real, yeah, you're being too yeah real. this idea of being real is like almost performative. Like, totally. it's like, I'm yeah. jokey and I'm funny about my depression. I do it all the time when in reality, I'm like right. struggling to get out of bed. And then there's this right. other part where you are not making a joke out of it. You're not using it as like a bit you're just sort of like fuck this is like actually how i feel and that makes people uncomfortable because it forces them to face their own stuff and think about how their own feelings that's just how i feel about it like i i don't know i i i think you're definitely right i i agree with that and i think like a lot of the confessionalism that we see is is actually a lot more um, calculated totally. than people like like right. to tell themselves. That right, it is. which is totally fine. Like um, I do that shit all the time. I'm like, ha ha, I'm depressed. But actually, like right. I am depressed, and it's like really hard to get out of bed sometimes. Right. Right. But right. that's not something that you want to share because it makes people uncomfortable, and I think it makes them uncomfortable because they're like, right. yeah, I don't want to think about that part of my life. I would rather use humor. Right. And, well, you know, 
I, I've been thinking, we've been thinking a lot about, Jamie and I have been thinking a lot about the topic of like writing and exposing and talking about these experiences as you've done for a number of years now um, and actually really made a name for yourself by doing this um, in addition to other work. But I think, you know, you've created a community, a safe place for people. Um, and I feel like, you know, in social media and millennial work culture, like all of that has really changed journalism. And I used to work at Mike and I think it's kind of similar to BuzzFeed. I found that in order to do the, the work that I really cared about, I had to prove that I was the right person to be writing about that topic mm -hmm. or talking about that topic, which often felt like, oh, uh, I'm going to I'm the right person to talk about women's health because I'm a woman. <laughs> I'm a right. woman and I deal with health issues. Did you ever feel that pressure of having to have your health struggles infiltrate your career in order to be able to like talk about these things or like and, like use your personal yeah, I think kind of like trauma? There was a moment at one point in my career uh, with someone that I previously worked with uh, where I was like talking about an upcoming treatment that I had to go through and they were like oh like maybe you could write about it and it was this moment where I was like you don't understand that this is my life <laughs> like it's not mm -hmm. content I choose to create content right. about it because a it's a way to help me cope and be like I feel a responsibility to do it and I want to do it but there was like this moment that I realized that like to other people, it may seem like I'm writing about it for content because it gets views and whatever. But like, to me, it's like, I'm processing this pain that I'm going through. And that is not content. <laughs> like that is, right. it's my life. Like it's, it's a lot of people's lives and the mm -hmm. disconnect there was really shocking for me. And I also thought to myself, if this was a man who had a serious health condition or some, someone that didn't have something that was like endometriosis that's not taken seriously, would you ever mm -hmm. say that to them? Would you ever say, oh, oh but right. maybe you could write about it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you get me a blog up on that surgery? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> by the end of the week. Like, yeah. This is yeah. my life, like the future. Like, yeah. I have trouble. Could you film it for yeah, us? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I think that. Yeah. I think BuzzFeed has been extremely supportive for the most part. And I feel very privileged and lucky to work there. But I do not think that anyone understands the emotional labor that something like this requires. And it's not just yeah. writing about it. It's like the feedback that I get, which oftentimes is yeah. positive. But if you think that I don't get shit all of the time, telling me that I'm wrong or telling me that I'm not doing the right things or telling me that I just want sympathy, whatever... Like that shit is hard and it's part of working on the internet, but it's also like, it's my life. And I think they forget that I'm a person yeah. maybe too, if right. that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I sometimes found the attitude of like, well, writing about like identities mm -hmm. is easier than writing about like news mm -hmm. events or like politics, yeah. which, you know, to me, like I, I feel like we ask black journalists to excavate their wounds oh, yeah. of racial trauma all the time and like that work I think you know only in relation to understanding it through my own experience of like imagining doing that and and I think that just sounds like double the work to what you were saying like the emotional work of it in addition to the it being like good writing and good journalism and good like content for oh, people totally. like, it like completely i mean it's just viewing someone as like a workhorse basically and like forgetting right. that there's like trauma and emotion there and it's not easy um especially in the age of the internet when everyone's a fucking expert on everything so right and yeah. in some ways do you also find it like it to me it's like this very hard topic because it's like, it's really hard and it's really difficult, but it's also really rewarding. And like, I sometimes I like actually want to do it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so it's like, it's kind of this double edged sword where it's like, you can't, 
it's it's hard both ways almost like sharing or not sharing um exposing or not exposing yeah I definitely I always lean towards sharing obviously I mean I'm very Mm -hmm. open but it changes yeah um you you talk a lot online and, and also write about um your use of marijuana to treat pain yes um I'm I'm kind of curious how you first came to that, and also, um, you know, is, is that something that when you meet with a doctor, for example, do you tell them that you use? Mm-hmm. I yes, okay. So I first discovered weed, I guess you could say, like in 2015. I was dating someone at the time. And California at the time, it was not legalized, but there was medical marijuana and you could get a card mm. for different things. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, was he smoked weed for his migraines. And I was sitting on the couch next to him, like just dying in pain, having a horrible pain day. And he was like, why don't you just smoke with me? I'd never smoked before. I grew up in Indiana where it's very criminalized and extremely looked down upon in the area that I live in. But yeah, so... <laughs> And he was like, why don't you just smoke? And I was like, okay. Uh, and then I just like experienced this sense of relief that I, mm. and like relaxation that I don't think that I had felt ever <laughs> since I had started having pain. And I, it wasn't that my pain went away. People ask me this a lot. And like, it's hard to explain because I think people think like when I smoke weed that I'm not in pain anymore. And that's like absolutely not the case. It's just easier to ignore. It makes my symptoms, mm. like I don't care about them as much. And one of my biggest symptoms with my endometriosis is a lack of appetite because I'm constantly nauseous. And I just have like a lot of digestive problems. And uh, that night, yeah. like when I smoked for the first time, I was like, holy shit, I am hungry. And we like went to Chipotle and I like ate a whole ass burrito and like, I didn't have that much wow. pain. And I was like, oh my God, like this is changing my life. And so I just um, began to go to dispensaries on my own after that. And I got my own card and I would just go in and be like, this is what I'm dealing with. Like, what do you think would help me? And I just discovered this whole world of like, there's rubs and there's bath salts and edibles and so many ways that you can ingest cannabis. And the more that I ingested it, the more relaxed and the more relief I had. And so I just like never looked back and it's the only thing I use for pain relief now. Like I really do feel like it's given me part of my life back. Like it makes me emotional to talk about because like, Mm. I don't know what I would do without it really. And it makes me really sad that just because I live in California, I'm allowed to figure that out and other people aren't, you know? Right. Right. I know. It's It's, so, it's it's so silly. It's interesting too, because it, Pain management is kind of like one of the more, um, I, you know, I'd say obvious, not not to say that it's widely accepted, but it's kind of like the, when people think of medical marijuana, most of the time they think about it's used for pain management, but it is also, um, has been found to be useful for so many other uh, aspects of illness and different illnesses that ne- don't necessarily involve pain, yeah. that it is crazy. I mean- I know just personally, like I've, I've used it, I used it recreationally for a long time, kind of with a like, you know, don't ask, don't tell with my doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like, you know, I'm a cardiac patient. It's like, what, what really is, is the harm? And then I, you know, kind of, I think maybe last year I brought it up to um, one of my doctors and I said, oh yeah, I I smoke occasionally. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was was ready for them to be like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. you're going to, you know, you're going to kill yourself, that kind of thing. Um, and she surprised me because she was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're, we're actually trying to get a medical card for one of our other patients oh, right now. Great. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Do you have, why? Do you have a medical card? Why is that? Do I have a medical card? Yeah. No, I don't have a medical card. Oh. Um, we're trying to get a medical card for one of our other patients. And I was like, oh, why is that? Because, you know, there's, there's um, situational pain with cardiac disease, but it's not a, it's not a sort of chronic pain mm-hmm. usually. Um, and she said, well, actually, you know, um, a third of all uh, congenital heart disease patients have PTSD. And so 
we are trying to help this other patient get a medical card for treatment for her PTSD, which stems from her heart disease. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And then I'm not kidding. Maybe like three months later, I was in an office with a nurse practitioner in the same hospital, someone who knows me. And I like mentioned, I was like, oh yeah, I smoke weed. Um, And it was like I had walked back into the 1950s. She was like, you know, people, no, it kills people. You should not be doing that. Marijuana, you you can die from Uh it. And just started, just started rattling off all this stuff as if she was like a Republican Mm -hmm. senator, just like total fiction. And I was like, wow, where is this coming from? Um, So it's, it's kind of crazy how, how, different and disparate the reaction. Yeah, are, one time but. I mentioned that I obviously smoke all the time. And this girl mm. that I was with, who was, by the way, drinking like on her fourth glass of wine, which like live oh, your yeah. fucking life. That's I don't the care. most ironic. But she was like, oh, <laughs> you like do drugs. And I was like, bitch, you're sitting here drinking wine, like on your fourth glass. And like, I'm not allowed to smoke weed. Like, what is the difference? I just really don't. I right. don't. I had the exact debate with my brother this weekend. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a hippie response. It's such a, like a stereotypical stoner response. My response is always, it's from the ground. Right. It's natural yeah. it's almost, it's like, compared with the shit. It's infuriating because, I don't know, I obviously rely on it, so it's different. But even if I didn't, it's like, who the hell are you to tell me what I'm going to do with my life, dude? I'm not sitting here talking about you drinking wine. I don't give a shit what you do. So I don't know why you have to concern yourself with what I'm doing. And it bothers me too, because it's like, it again comes from a place of privilege. Like it must be nice that you don't have to worry about your health and being in pain and not, you know? Right. Right. Well, I'm really glad that you have it. Honestly, thank you. And like, I hope to God someday everyone has it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Legalize it. Um, well, We've really, really enjoyed our time with you. Um, I just want to ask one more question about the book. Like, what are you most excited? What most excites you about the book that you're writing? Oh, God. Um, I'm like mostly nervous, if I'm being honest. Like, that's I'm very nervous that people won't like it. But then I sort of just have to keep telling myself that I'm writing it for me at the end of the day. Like this is sort of a love letter to myself and to the progress that I've made. And I think I'm just excited to see that work come to fruition and see, hey, you've done this. You've worked so hard over the last five years of your life to get to the place where you are now. And like, that's worth celebrating. Like just if I ever get this book done, which like, Let's just say I will, because we're going to be positive. (laughs) I will get it done. I will edit it. It will come out. And I'm going to be like, holy shit, I wrote a a book. I wrote a book despite being sick, despite feeling like I'm not living half the time. I am actually. So every time I look on my bookshelf, I will have a reminder that like, when it feels like you aren't living, when it feels like this illness has taken everything from you, remember that it actually hasn't. I think that's right. what I'm plugging into. Really great. I mean, and like you said, kind of at the top, you know, write the book that you want to see in the yes. world. Make the make the art that you wish you yes. had. And that's if it does that, that's, you know, incredible. Um I'm well, really excited for it. Thank yeah, you. me too. We'll have to have we'll have to have you if we're if we're still going here, we'll have to have you back on when yes, it comes I out. We can, yeah. can talk about we'll do the a revisit episode <laughs> yeah um well this was such a treat thank you so much for talking to us thank um you. we just want to we want to remind everyone out there and by the way if i get your name wrong please correct me um i've just been reading it off of oh, Twitter, yeah, and no. it's like it's one of those things where it's like um but guys look out for laura's book vagina problems which comes out next year and follow her on instagram at laura e parker l-a-r-a-e parker yes. And uh, yes, and Twitter as well. Go, go, yeah, go to go get all the content. Yes. all the content. All Twitter, the content needs. Instagram, Buzzfeed. She's she's all over the place. Find yes, her. thank you. Work it, make it, do it. Makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. That 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 don't kill me. 